welcome everyone. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure to host uh, Shobhaji today and it was a greater uh, pleasure going through her very wonderful book, the cover of which uh, you can see on my background. It's Food and Faith. Uh, she calls it a pilgrim's journey through India and she also in her very heartfelt, uh, heartfully, soulfully written preface, she calls it a skeptical seeker's journey through India. Uh, Reading the book has been a very joyful experience. So I would recommend uh, uh, everyone among you to buy a copy and go through uh, Thank you. her journey. Uh, that's Thank something you. very soulful. So uh, more about our author, uh, Shobha Narayan has written about food and faith over two decades. She was the Hinduism columnist for BeliefNet and won the James Beard MFK Fisher Award for Distinguished Food Writing. She has been a correspondent for Gourmet Magazine and has written about culture, food and faith in her columns and essays for Hindustan Times and the National Abu Dhabi. Food and Faith, the current book about which we are going to discuss with her, brings together two of uh, Shobhaji's passions, spirituality and food. So you can uh, please visit her website, shobhanarayan.com for uh, more information about her. I'm sure there are a lot of things to learn from her journey. So Shobhaji, welcome again. Uh, uh, I loved reading the book, uh, Food you. and Faith. And uh, I just loved the way you so seamlessly correlated between various aspects of our religion uh, with that personal, uh, very healthy skeptical questions, if I may ask, and related, you know, to uh, the prasadam, the naivedyam, which is, uh, which forms its own signature for each of the uh, pilgrim centers. So. Do share with our viewers a bit about your personal journey, you know, from being that uh, rebellious skeptic to a seeker. Interestingly, both are the, you know, bo uh, both phases are something I, which I could deeply connect with. I could understand the rebellious self also. And I could so much understand when you said, uh, you know, you, the way your mother dragged you to temples, you are dragging your yes. children to temples. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> so I could relate to both the sides. Uh, so please uh, share a bit about your personal journey. Thank you, Sai Swarupa. And may I compliment your background? Thank you for putting up my book as well. <laughs> it's so it's nice of you. It's a pleasure. So, um, like you, I grew up in a, uh, like you said, I grew up in a devout Hindu family, which I think for many of us, uh, South Indians particularly, involves visiting temples on all the holy days, uh, for example, Ekadashi or the Shraddham or the festivals. And when you are a kid and their grandfather interrupts you in the middle of a cricket game and says, come on, let's go to the temple. I think it's a natural, uh, you know, a feeling of why so many, why now, why this? Uh, so that was it. But I think the beauty of our temples is that they somehow quietly work their way into your psyche. You visit one, you visit two, you hear the bells, you smell that particular, you know, Hindu temples have a particular smell of that Abhisheka milk and water and honey, mm -hmm. all of that. And uh, it's part, it becomes part of your subconscious. 
and i think now the tables have turned where when i want some solace when i want some peace and calm i go to temples so uh, rather than um and then as far as writing the book uh, sai swarupa i think hinduism has been approached from many angles i am not a scholar i am a food writer more uh, than uh, hinduism uh, expert i'm learning sanskritam but i don't i don't have not read the original text i'm learning one of your the platforms which i follow quite avidly is your own indic academies uh, you know their uh, uh, they do these seminars and webinars and uh, um, they did one on the puranas recently which was uh, which i attended yes, um, yes, yes. Mm. so uh, so that so hinduism is still uh, an ocean to me and i've kept the first foot as we say in tamil but um, uh, food writing comes easy to me it has it's a way of uh, writing about india that seems very approachable and easy to do for me so this uh, book i decided i would approach spirituality which i have started uh, going deeper into from a very earthy from a very basic from a very nurturing um, approach which is prasadams or prashad as they say in north india so yes uh, as you say i am just reminded of a particular journey uh, in karnataka uh, i went with my parents where uh, uh, you know we started from bangalore uh, and we just had uh, puli hodre in some very cute little vishnu temple on the way uh, i don't exactly remember the name it's a normal uh, you know nice vishnu temple and then uh, we had our lunch at horanadu and then mm. dinner at dharmasthala which was uh, which wow. really felt uh, you know that was a blessed day and i could see a lot of uh, you know the vibes are different when we eat the prasada in the temple in the premises of the temple so correct uh, so if i can ask you about any any accompanying experiences uh, or aspects about you know a particular naivedyam or a temple you know and the spiritual connection that you felt you know through the food because you have uh, covered a lot of pilgrimage centers right from uh, palani with its uh, oldest jam of the world <laughs> that's the palani panchamritam to uh, amritsar kashi and uh, you know ajmer and even goas uh, this one we'll come to that but you know in this whole variety of places with their own signature unique uh, food uh, you know uh, what uh, share any of your uh, you know very compelling experiences uh, for the benefit of me so one of the most compelling things about writing this book was not was as much what i left out as what i included like you said my my mother's pilgrim circuit is actually mukambika temple temple of kollur yeah. so we used to go to udupi mukambika then dharmasthala shringeri all of that and uh, srirangam uh, tirupati balaji so um, i left out his laddu for example <laughs> tirupati balaji's laddu is world famous yes and uh, kerala many temples have palpaisam as their prasadam and uh, i chose ambalapura I guess, so yes yes ambalapura you have yes so in a way it's like a editor choosing um, what to put in a magazine um, this book became as much about which temple should i include some of it was geographical north south east west um, some of it was uh, 
what called to me. I really wanted to include, uh, for example, uh, a Jain temple, but I could not visit one in time for my deadline. Um, I said, la, la, this book is largely Hindu, but of course, we sh have to include the langar of uh, uh, Harmandir Sahib. Yeah. So, um, so in terms of compelling temples in the book, um, uh, each of them has their own beauty. And if I may, in one line, I'll tell you about each of them uh, and uh, sure, the ones sure. that, yeah. So the, the beauty of Parani is that uh, he's a very ancient god. I mean, he, you go to the Indus Valley civilization and you will read about Murukkan, as he was called. And then only he became Murugan and all of the other. And he was a warrior tribal god. So he was, in fact, he was what we call an indigenous um, uh, from the earth, from the soil. He came, up, he came through the folk songs and the people's um, veneration of them and so he, uh, his Panchamritam is very Even special. The Mahabharata because... has a lot of mentions about Skanda, you know, wherever, uh, mm. Victor, wherever a battle is mentioned and, uh, you know, then there is a victor, he's either yes. compared to Indra or mm. uh, Skanda, you know, and in Mahabharata, ah. especially uh, uh, the Mahishasura Mardana uh, episode, it is mm. Kanda who kills Mahishasura and not Durga in uh, one. Uh, oh. and, uh, sorry for that uh, digression. That's <laughs> okay. I, the, please, please, please add, please add to this. Um, and Kashi, of course, we will talk about because the Kashi is full of prasads uh, of various kinds. Annapurna is my favorite because I like the creation story and the, uh, uh, the Anna that comes out of her. Um, the Aragar Kovil of uh, Madurai was an accidental journey, but I had want I went to visit Mad Madurai Meenakshi, and the priest there said, "Amma, you are writing about prasadam. You go to Aragar Kovil. Better than this prasad." is uh, there because it is an unusual prasadam. He didn't uh, make it uh, that kind of a comparison. So I went there. I had never visited that temple. And I found a, 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 a Aragar Kovil Dose, which is a, a, like deep fried vadai, but it's made of uh, 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 uradal and rice. The, so that was very special. And it was a, one of the few temples I visited where there were no crowds. It is a little known temple. Um, then the Ambalapura Palpaisam still made an ancient recipe in the giant Urli. And one of the most touching things about the Ambalapura Palpaisam is after cooking, they will go out and they will call Vasudeva as if imagining that the God is going to come and actually wow. eat their prasadam. So that every day they do this. That is very nice. Yes. And then um, uh, the langar is a phenomenal exp expression of how you sub you subjugate the ego, you go there to do seva, you wash other people's dishes, then you sit on the ground and you eat and it's done in vast numbers. So that is also very touching. Um, Udupi, of course, Udupi is Krishna, is uh, <laughs> Anadatta. He's, uh, they, he, people come there to eat and that's tradition is followed in Dharmasthala as well, as you, which you just mentioned. They give you very humble food, one ranna, one saru, and one palya. That's it. And uh, it's but so that's, tasty. Uh, that's so tasty and, uh, mm. you know, filling. And uh, basically, you don't have any other wanting after eating that. Uh, that's something which I felt, uh, especially in the Dharmasthala. I, uh, I don't remember my visit to Udupi because I was too young. Uh, yeah. But that saru of Dharmasala, the rasam they give is so tasty. Yeah. 
Um, so that that would be, I think, a good overview. And my favorite is you, you, it depends on when the which day you ask, and the person who is asking it varies. Today, let us go with uh, uh, you know the Nepal one also the prasad that the I offered to the Kumari and the whole village congregated to give. Nepal was once called uh, the Spartan. One of the cities I visited was called Lalitapura, which I didn't know. Now it's called Patan, but it's called Lali. And Lalita is one of the most compelling goddesses in Hinduism yes. because <laughs> so I liked the rituals in uh, during the Dashera festival of Patan. And I will tell you about the prasad there later on. So that would be a very compelling prasad because um, there are elements to it that uh, you don't see in India now. Um, you see it, there are, first of all, you see men dressed as goddesses which you see in Yakshagana, you see in Kathakali and all our old uh, dance forms. But here, Patan is a small and beautiful Nepalita, Nepalese town and uh, Lalitapura, as I called it. The whole town gathers during Dasera on the particular day and uh, the men come out dancing as if they are the ten goddesses, the, the, the um, Dashamahavidyas, and then they sit down. And everybody goes and gives them a leaf with lots of prasad. And then we are we all eat it. Whoever watch, uh, watches the ritual, we get to eat it. So that was very special, actually. Thank you. Thank you so much. That uh, picks my interest. And I'm sure we are making uh, a lot of our audience hungry with our talk. <laughs> Uh, after the listening, they can go and have dinner. <laughs> I just uh, hope I get, uh, you know, this lockdown and uh, pandemic goes down soon so that uh, each of us gets to go to our favorite uh, temple mm. and get our favorite prasadam along with the darshan. So uh, that makes me wonder, uh, Shobhaji, so food, you know, the physical validity or the physical scope of food, it is limited to what uh, is annamaya kosha the the mm. self the self has uh, just for the benefit of viewers uh, uh, not not that you don't know but uh, the self is made of these five koshas five sheets and uh, the most uh, uh, what do you say the materialistic among them is uh, annamaya kosha then we uh, go to pranamaya then manas manomaya jnanamaya and vijnanamaya and the body is called that Annamaya Kosha because it's dependent on food. And our spiritual journey starts by uh, growing out of, through these mm -hmm. sheets, right? And yet at the same time, each, the Naivedyam forms such an important part of our uh, puja, our uh, spiritual uh, and ritual as well as spiritual uh, 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 regime course, yeah. and uh, when we do that uh, shoda shopachara puja it's you know there's a whole uh, uh, lavish naivedyam uh, you know being offered and you know and each uh, vrata has its own preparation so and so much and so many recipes are just guarded so guarded and religiously adhered to uh, did you uh, ever happen to wonder about this whole anomaly uh, you know at the you know at one uh, state you know we want to grow out of this bodily uh, yeah self and at the other uh, side you know everything is so religiously adhered to yeah no but uh, sai swarupa as you said 
um, Hinduism has so many layers. You just talked about the Panchakoshas. There are so many layers. For example, one of the beauties of Hinduism is that we are very accepting and inclusive of all things. So we are not, you know, um, on the one hand, as you say, we have feasting and we have fasting. And the secrecy around uh, rituals, I am part of a Sri Vidya Padati. Um, that is, uh, my mother is a Sri Vidya Upasaka. So I perform the Japa of the Sri Vidya cult, as we call it. Um, there is a lot of secrecy. If I can ask. So, um, you know, there is a Upadesha that is given by your guru and okay. we start with Ganapati and we start with Bala. There are mantras and then okay. you, recite, you recite them and you do the Navavarna Puja, which is, has all the Shoda Shopa Upachara that you talked about. And uh, it is uh, like most of our spiritual Hinduism, the aspects of mantras are guarded very secretly. You don't just give a mantra, you do yes. an Upadesha, you have to get it from a person. It's an initiation. Um, same thing with food. Some temples will reveal, but I went to Jagannath Kshetra, where uh, Jagannathji of Puri, there, they, I, I was not allowed into the kitchens. They said, first of all, women are not allowed here. First of all, non, the people who are the cooks are allowed here, but nobody, no outsiders. So the recipes are also guarded. But Jagannath, I discovered to my delight, is one of the most richest temples with respect to mythology because you have the Vaishnava cult, you have the Shaivites, you have the uh, Shakta cults, which is part of uh, who I am, which is the goddess worshippers. So the you, if you look at photos of the uh, how it is cooked, uh, there are so many aspects of yantras. So for example, now there are nine pots stacked one on top of the each other. Nava is a very important uh, number in our, uh, in my faith. And um, then they, it's cooked in mud pots. We pile and, up these uh, nine pots upon one upon each other and they just yes. exactly know how much water to keep so that, uh, you know, the fire. Correct. Uh, sorry, I'm uh, trying to, <laughs> I'm interrupting you again and again. Sorry. No, no, no. Please keep interrupting. Uh, that's, uh, please add to the conversation. Um, so the, the easier to cook dishes are on top, the vegetables, the lentil, the parupus or the papus, the lentils go in the bottom and then the anna in the middle. So they know, as you say. And then there is a yantra drawn uh, on the base of these nine pots that are stacked up. I didn't see this in the Jagannath Chetra kitchens. I saw it in a museum which said, okay, this is how it looks. Huh. And uh, one commonality amongst all Nevedya is the way it is approached. So what is the difference between delicious food that you eat in a restaurant and the delicious prasadams? In my view, the difference is the approach of the cook. The person in Jagannath Chetra, for example, said, even if I think for one minute that I'm making these prasadams, even though I'm cutting all the vegetables I'm cooking, whatever, the pots will shatter. We believe that Mahalakshmi is making the prasadam. And that is Jagannathji's uh, consort. She, we can hear her uh, gaje, her anklets, wow. as she walks through the kitchen. So this is the approach of uh, Naivedya cooking, which is where you listen to uh, Om chanting, where you think I am doing it as a vehicle for the God. It is not about my ego. Whereas if you eat delicious food in a restaurant kitchen, it's entirely about ego. It is, I am the chef. I am making this and you are my guest and you are dining on my food. Here we don't say my food, we say 
God is his food or Jagannath's food. That is the difference. Where, you know, you literally, you uh, sub, subjugate your ego. Mm. That's so, that's a wonderful observation uh, too, especially Puri. Uh, it's one of those unique kshetras where uh, mm. we just see traditions living and uh, mm. You know, just the whole of their, uh, like even the Rathyatra, when uh, mm. the Lord comes back, uh, Lakshmi is mm. already angry with him for, you know, staying back for so long at the Gundicha temple. So basically she Correct. closes the door, uh, you know, when uh, Lord Jagannath tries to enter and then they have to <laughs> second, uh, her with that Rasagola. Yes. Right. And uh, I guess uh, you have elaborated about the Chapan book and all in your Puri chapter. Mm. I uh, mm. remember very well. So thank you. Thank you for that uh, very insightful elaboration. So uh, coming to, you know, the same uh, subjugating one's ego, which comes uh, along with subjugating one's desires, I guess, because desire and ambition, mm. they are the... Uh, core uh, part of uh, mm. ego mm. because mm. when mm. we say I then the next uh, logical thing is want yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know uh, subjugating mm. that desire comes with this abstinence fasting and uh, you have very carefully mm. elaborated about the fasting and feasting uh, cycles as, uh, in your first chapter that uh, deals with the uh, Udupi uh, mm this one but uh, maybe for the benefit of the viewers you can elaborate on uh, you know your uh, your take on the you know fasting and teaching sure. these months sure. whatever it is. i think all over india when i went i saw this whole uh, i uh, the rituals that indians followed with linked to fasting and feasting so i'll begin with rajasthan before coming to udupi uh, a rajput prince or a, a rajput person i interviewed for another story on food of rajasthan the royal cuisine of rajasthan hmm. he said all of rajasthan will not hunt even though we are rajputs even though we eat meat uh, we won't hunt um, we will not hunt during the monsoon because that is a time for the animals the earth is fertile and it's the time for the deer or whoever the game meat that we hunt, we stop. So I think all, India as a civilization has an attachment and a balanced approach to nature, which is really why with such a large population, as a lover of forests, as a Vanavasi, as a lover of nature, we are, for such a, a country with so much population, we have so much nature left. We still have tigers. We still have uh, a variety of flora and fauna and trees. So I think uh, as a civilization, as Indians, we are uh, lovers of nature. And coming to the prasadams, that too plays out because uh, in everyday Indian life, my mother still, you know, she will say today is Ekadashi and she's 83 years old. But there was the whole ritual of fasting. Once a week, she you do you do the. It is not just food fasting, also, huh? There is we have Maunavrata. So once a week, there are people who will not speak. So Brata is a sack is a self uh, um, self control in a way. Um, so in the but one of the most elaborate things I learned was the Chaturmasya Brata, which happens in Karnataka. I, I I described it in the Karnataka chapter, but it happens in ashrams happens. and when. Yeah, yeah. When the uh, the guru, the bhat, the the chief uh, uh, swamiji's, they would walk from ashram to ashram of their uh, 
um, area. So what that is, is, and the beautiful thing for me was, you didn't eat certain things in certain months. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Sai Swarupa, I think it starts with uh, giving up greens. Um, yes. And so then... Shaka and leafy greens and other vegetables in the month of Shravana. Correct. And, uh, and then it moves to, uh, you give up milk sweets in the uh, next Madhra month. Pada, yep. Yes. Badrapada. And then you, you do eat milk in the next month, which is, uh, I think, when Gokulashtami happens and when, you, when we want to eat uh, yes, yes. meat. And then you give up lentils during Navratri, which anyway, Navratri, the, the most of our Nevedya at that time is, uh, is rice-based for the goddess. We give different chitrana. Give up lentils because I thought uh, Navratri Kolu we prepare a lot of shundal during that. Uh, Actually, we do in Tamil Nadu, but I think uh, in uh, Karnataka, which is the chapter I read in Chitrana, is a very popular thing. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. So, so within three states, uh, there are regional variations of this. But the concept is the same, is that uh, we now have all these de detox weight loss diets and they always start with give up, uh, lact give up lactose, give up milk, um, give up meat, of course. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't have to do that. But um, it's entirely about giving up. But in, uh, we had that in our scriptures from a long time ago. <laughs> Maybe so, because uh, of that temporary phase of giving up, we may realize, we would realize the value as well as yeah. the attachment level we have and that, uh, you know, yeah. on a contemplative path. Because this again reminds me about uh, uh, another incident in the Mahabharata. I'm so sorry, I'll keep going back to Mahabharata Please. because that Please. is... Uh, <laughs> that is your, uh, that is your forte. So, uh -huh. So it's like uh, during the Vanavasa, the Pandavas keep uh, uh, shuttling between two forests uh, called uh, one is Kamyaka, one is Dvaita. And of course, they do a trip to Himalayas also, which is a five year long, but otherwise they keep uh, shuttling between Kamyaka and Dvaita. And Dvaitavana is described as a place where it's totally clustered with ashramas that uh, wherever you go, you'll hear a Veda Mantra being chanted, that kind of a forest. And uh, again, there, so there is a deer which comes into, uh, comes into Yudhishthira's dream and says, uh, now the deer population is so low because, uh, you know, you people have started helping the rishis and, uh, you know, hunting deer and all. So now I think you should go to Kamyaka so that we get time to multiply. So if the deer, uh, the population of deer, it crosses a certain level, the green mm. cover is endangered because of their yes. excessive uh, this one. So hunting deer, uh, because I was reminded of that when you mentioned the Rajput. Uh, yes. So when done in moderation, hunting deer is a noble task which helps uh, the environment. But yes. the, again, there is a uh, place balance the, yes yes so you abstain from it so that you don't do too much yeah. of it. Uh, yeah just reminded of that uh, so my next question before i go to the next question about kashi uh my message to the viewers is that you could type in your questions or uh, ask your questions in the chat uh, box or in the q and a uh uh, I'll be opening up the floor in another 15-20 minutes uh, if 
provided I am done with my questions. <laughs> so I think the opportunity, uh, guys. So then, uh, yes, Shobha ji, you promised to uh, talk about Kashi. Uh, that's again mm. uh, very wonderful. Uh, it's uh, it's just tough to ignore that whole experience while uh, walking through Kashi. It's not just about the temples. It's it just feels all along the banks of Ganga. There's mm. something which you know you feel so connected to, and uh, I am so impressed with your uh, description about the Ganga and mm. where uh, you made the you know uh, difference made out the difference between uh, impurity and dirt. And mm, Ganga mm. may be dirty, but she continues to be pure. Uh, mm, mm. You know, if I can ask you to share your thoughts. Yeah, about- yeah. Pavitrata versus Gandagi. Um, so yes. Pavitra, Pavitram is uh, pure and uh, Gandagi is dirt. So in the Indian mind uh, has the ab- ability, like most sophisticated civilizations in my view, to hold two contradictory thoughts in our head. You know, we have the Irutalai Pakshi, the, the, the bird looking on both directions. That is there as part of our jewelry ornaments. And uh, we call it Gandabeirunda in uh, Karnataka. Yeah, it is the Mysore royal family has that as their uh, padakkams. Um, but what does it mean? It means the ability to see two, th- you look at one thing and you see two contradictory thoughts. You have two contradictory thoughts. Ganga is pure and uh, worthy of my worship, but she's also dirty and that needs to be cleaned up. So um, Kashi, is there, I I will answer you, of course, but I'd love any Mahabharata connection to Kashi, Sai Sarupa, if you can add to it. Uh, I love Kashi. Uh, Who doesn't? It is a city uh, of uh, Shiva and uh, 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 you see, you literally do see wherever you go, you see Shivlings. Um, uh, the walking on the ghats of the Ganga is a. If it is, if you are afforded that uh, luxury every day of your life, as Kashi Vasis are, what a what a blissful experience that is to watch the sunrise over the Ganga or sunset. And uh, the food, it depends on the temple. I mean, the problem with Kashi was choosing the prasadam, which is uh, you have uh, with so many signature. Uh... Correct. Um, not the Mahabharata, but the Ramayana. Your Hanuman had a Sankata Mochana Hanumanji temple there. Annapurna is a wonderful goddess because she is, uh, we, we all say, no, Annapurna, Sadapurna, Shankara, Prana, Vallabhe, Jnana, Vairagya, Siddhyattam, Bhikshanjevi, Chaparvati. So she, um, my grandmother used to recite this sloka before cooking because, and the Annapurna idol was kept on the, uh, you know, just above the gas, there was a ledge and you kept the image of the goddess. I think the story behind Shiva and Annapurna and how he comes as the Kapa, she's, she, Kashi is also Kapala Mochana, where Shiva, because he killed, so um, that is one story. The Vishwa, the Shivalinga, the first Jyotirlinga was formed in Kashi. That is another story. The story of Ganga herself is a, a, a amazing story. So the, our rich mythology the fact that Shankara uh, came to Kashi, the fact that there are so many mathas in Kashi. So you have the uh, you have so many layers of Hinduism all in one place. So that to me is the beauty of Kashi. And I'd love to hear any other connections that you may bring forth. <clears throat> oh, just, I mean, I guess I don't have much about uh, Kashi, but uh, yes, it's a very important uh, uh, 
Mahajanapada in, you know, as far as Mahabharata is concerned. And as you mentioned mm. in the book, it's the oldest city. Uh, mm. Yeah, correct. It is certainly the uh, oldest living city in, in Asia. Um, the oldest city in the world, there has been some um, um, discussion that it is in the Levant, which is the fertile crescent in the Nile and the Mesopotamian region. Um, um, there uh, are some so of the older cities than Kashi. Uh, yes, that's a historian's debate. As far as we are concerned, though, in Kashi is the oldest continually living city in India. And um, what is beautiful about our civilization is that we have not connect, cut off the link to our past. By which I mean, uh, in India, uh, what we call avatars. Avatars are literally gods cutting through the clouds and walking on the earth. We've had so many Krishna avatara, Rama avatara, all of that. Now, the, if you look at Greek, myth, Western mythology, if you look at Greek mythology, Roman mythology, they also had that. They had Aphrodite, they had Apollo in the Roman, and then they had Zeus, the Greek god. All of them also cut through the clouds and came and walked on the earth. They had their mythology. But if you go to Greece today and Rome today, you don't see the gods on the streets like we do in India. You don't see the Ganapati at the street corner. At every every time there's a three street corner, there's a Ganapati. So we have kept our mythological link very, from to a very ancient time. The narrative arc of Indian mythology goes back very long. Whereas in, uh, in Greece and Rome and most Western mythology, even Egypt, I would say, which has such a rich... I mean, they had the sun god, the Ra, the Anubis, all of them, there comes a point when they decide we are going to become a modern civilization, Fatak, it gets cut off. So you go to Egypt, Cairo today, you don't see the gods walking on the earth. Whereas in India, you see gods walking on the earth, by which I mean, you see images, you see cows, you see snakes, you see. So we live in this very wonderful mix of mythological time and real time. And that continues to this day. And you see it in Kashi which is a long way of saying, this is one of the reasons why Kashi is uh, great. Hey, Ma, hi, so much concur with you, Shobhaji. So when you mentioned Greece, I was reminded of my uh, another fortunate trip to Greece, uh, Kriti, the island of Kriti, where uh, there is the cave where uh, Zeus was born, where they believe uh, Zeus was born. And there's so much of uh, that, uh, you know, the tapasya vibes around there. Uh, uh -huh. that one can see it. And I almost feel, felt guilty for wearing sandals. And there's nowhere, nowhere to leave those like, uh, you know, and all along, even UK and Greece, I kept uh, whenever they took us to some place of worship, I kept, uh, you know, I would instinctively remove my shoes and then find others staring at me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's, uh, so again, uh, coming back to food, uh, so the common thread uh, I have seen in most of the places, like you mentioned, uh, Udupi, then uh, again, uh, yes, Koranadu and uh, so Kashi and, uh, you know, every place, the, there is a uh, emphasis on Annadana. Mm. And uh, you, uh, you know, you, you go to the temple, you receive the prasadam along with everybody. Yeah. There is a deep sense of connect. You feel there is a yeah. collective connect. Uh, one feels with, you know, everybody else, you know, just sitting Correct. along with everyone. And there's that sense of uh, equality. So, and, uh, you know, that sense of oneness with 
with the divine la so yes. that brings me to the langar uh, concept of amritsar uh, yes again uh, one of the important traditions yes. and that's something which uh, you know which all the temples also follow like uh, say in hornadu mm. uh, they first tell us to go and eat before even having the darshan of the goddess and uh, mm. so the priest was when we went it was almost lunch time and the priest mm. said uh, you know you can't uh, he, he blocked our view basically saying ki you cannot see the god the goddess cannot see you coming empty stomach you first go and eat and then <laughs> you know show yourself to the goddess right so uh, is there that uh, you know was there a common uh, thread that you found uh, beyond uh, hinduism like say in the sikhism and you covered uh, uh, ajmer uh, dargah also right uh, yeah 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 oh yeah that thank you for asking that um so yes in the sikh faith anadana is the primary way of uh, devotion um you go we have langars bangalore where i live we have a gurudwara where they still do langar and uh, if you go to harmandir sahib which mm-hmm. we call the golden temple there too langar is uh, enormous and uh, uh, it has that same quality that you just described which is the you go into the langar kitchen and people are chanting people are uh, listening to devotional music already a peace and calm settles over you and i like a stupid person went and said i'll go roll out rotis <laughs> and i am a south indian we eat uh, i'm a tamilian we eat rice, rice predominantly i don't know how to make good chapati so but i went and volunteered anyway and these uh, punjabi women very kindly made me sit next to them and taught me how to do it properly but um, it was a mixture what was there is a whole egalitarianism you know you, we didn't know you who was sitting next to you whether they were rich or poor which state they come from which uh, country they come from lot of foreigners too foreign uh, and so you come together as a human as humanity and you feed humanity and that to me is the epitome of anadana where you are not bothered about the who eats it or anything like that so that is that in ajmer of course the, the store the dargah of ajmer is a sufi dargah and uh, sufism is different from islam because it is more sensuous it adapts all the music and the dance and the arts into itself it is an interiorization and an intensification of the faith um so i went there there was a qawwali group that was singing and they had tears rolling down their eyes as they sang and then Sufism also I was reminded I don't know if you've been to Turkey uh, Sai Swarupa if you go to a place called Konya the whirling dervishes with one hand up to the sky one hand down to the earth and they and yeah. uh, they whirl around with these huge pavadas as we call which look like pavadas um so there's that but the Ajmer dargah is also Ganga Jamuna Sanskriti as they call it where Hindus are welcome and Muslims are welcome and equal measure people go in and they give their little prayers and ask for what they want and one of the most touching things in temple I, in every temple i visited was you see uh, somebody would have put a cradle there oh and i'll think oh some family wants a child uh, somebody would have put money there and they would say, want a promotion somebody would have built a wooden house and put it there and they so maybe they are building a house and they want to the god to give them the funds for it so all our hopes and dreams are captured in these offerings that we give to god and ask for uh, things that we need in return um ajmer story has to do as linked to the moguls 
um so akbar after winning the battle of chittorgarh he walked and he uh, created this uh, uh, badi deg as they call it for kesariabad kesariabad is somewhat like our uh, shira or we call it uh, the kesaribad and that is hmm, and that is given as a prasad and it's made in these huge pots i mean like 10 10 people can sit inside it and uh, and so that's the story of ajmer i think uh, the the link to the moguls is one of the very uh, common uh, or un- unusual things about it and as far as the golden temple the veneration of that book the veneration of humanity is a wonderful thing uh, thank you uh, uh, it's tough to gain the gain an insight about the variety uh, especially mm. india follows uh, mm. in that's the tradition which i don't think many even many islamic countries would be following uh, you know whatever is followed in uh, india correct so that's uh, yeah yeah that comes and uh, so that uh, i think i should uh, give a chance to the audience now there is a question uh, uh the person remains uh, remains anonymous uh, he says firstly thank you for such an insightful session i was wondering if any in, in any of your travels you have found non vegetarian prasadam being served in temples uh, mm. yeah um in the in the um if you go to west bengal and uh, beyond in that belt in nepal i have i have seen goats being sacrificed um i think that uh, sacrificing animals was part of our land especially when we were an agricultural people um uh, i if you i i could be wrong like i said i'm not a scholar but i think the whole homam that we practice that we have began with Uh, in our mythological stories of human sacri- people jumping in the, they sacrifice themselves and yes. then okay you don't I mean, want to sacrifice the worshipper of uh, lalita parameshwari i think the goddess of uh, the whole chitakunda yes. sambhuta happened uh, because the gods themselves uh, you know sacrifice themselves uh, correct the goddess correct so yeah. yes i have seen non vegetarian prasadams in the form of uh, sacrificial animals yes i have that reminds uh, me you promised to talk about patan and uh, <laughs> lalita pura yes yeah. yeah yeah so um uh in in i mean i know like you just said parts of the lalita sasnama i was made to learn it and by heart it as a child so i do know the lalita stories of the lalita sasnama and part of the reason i like lalita is because she is lalita because she plays she's a playful goddess and in patan uh she is worshiped in the form of the dashamaha vidyas by these men and uh, they come very royally dressed in multiple colors um and sit as like gods they sit exactly like how i'm sitting they take up space their legs are far apart and this and then the uh, family by family whoever wants to worship goes and offers the the prasadams and it's it is a mixture of foods uh, some of them offer meat as well um and uh, it's rice it's the usual things that we see in india it's the rice the vegetables the sweets and then after that it's distributed to the whole um whoever has gathered there and the whole city comes together in a way and um, it was wonderful it happened at night so it was cool 
it had music and dance and chanting it had rituals it had color it had nice smells of freshly cooked food so it had all the elements and it had a community coming together which is a purpose i think religion i think was invented to bring the community together so lalita pura patan was very special to me thank you thanks a lot for that it's uh, somewhat uh, uh, that's again an all and uh, you know pan indian or pan subcontinent uh, 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 custom of males taking the female avesha like you talked about mm. patan and we have that uh, down in kerala and even in tulunadu tulunadu uh, you know the bhutakola or something they call where uh, female yes. is also uh, the avesha is somewhere we are uh, you know so deeply connected uh, beyond the political borders i guess the political borders keep changing but the civilization yes. it continues to trudge on so and uh, you know maybe people are skeptical of that and we have a skeptical question uh, to shobhaji it's from mohit pande uh, mm. he uh, has some doubts about the hygiene and uh, this one uh, you know the maintained in the food preparation he says does not the doesn't the lack of uh, hygiene and dirt uh, spoil the sanctity of mythology associated with food especially in kashi and puri uh hope your book is a critical essay looking at the pros and cons of the preparation of faith food i know you have uh, specified how strictly they hold the puri recipes but uh, maybe you'd uh... mm. yeah so mohit ji what i would say is that uh, um, i i have not visited the kitchens in jagannath chetra uh, um, but i have seen the ambalapura palpaisam made and the hygiene is very i mean it's a beautiful room there is literally no other vessel there except a huge urli and they pour it all the rice and it's cooked and cooked and cooked so the assumption is that by cooking it for 5 hours all the germs are gone and i know that all of us are very conscious of this in a time of covid like this mm-hmm. um so uh, as far as the udupi too um because the food is uh, is dana is cooked the saru is cooked the palya is cooked and then you, yes you do sit on the floor yes you don't know if the banana leaves that you eat on are washed properly or not um but the hope is that how much will you protect yourself from viruses <laughs> you know you sometimes you have to surrender to god and hope for the best and it's true of restaurants as well so uh, i don't think i will specify i will i will just uh, specify or uh, choose indian temples as lack of hygiene i would say that hygiene is a is an is a concept that should be applied everywhere and let us not single out indian temples for being kashi is dirty and i think the ganga the the, the banks of the ganga are dirty i will give you that i yeah, think everybody knows that you have elaborated about that prashchita tatva where uh, hmm. there are uh, you know there's a whole shloka about how not to behave with the ganga and uh, we have somehow and flouted everything uh, everything uh, yes uh, <laughs> right? and, uh, maybe uh, because many people don't know about uh, this particular shloka shobhaji so uh, we yeah. have some time and i'd be so happy if you can elaborate so that Uh, yeah. people turn conscious at least yes we... yes so this uh, uh, the shloka that sai swarupa is talking about lists out a whole range of things that you should not do to the ganga including 
gargling and spitting, including throwing flowers into the Ganga, including uh, obviously uh, urinating, including throwing earwax into the Ganga. So these are all, this was written for an Indian of a few centuries before. So it is a very detailed and specific list of things that you don't do. And nowadays, the way you venerate the Ganga is by putting these candles, sending the flowers. As uh, Sai Swarupa said, we are flouting every one of them. Um, but I was heartened because I met a, a Mahant. Um, he's the Mahant of uh, uh, an ashram he called Har in Harihar, uh, 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 in Haridwar. His name is Swami Avdeshananda. And he's, uh, he basically said, I don't throw flowers into the Ganga. I, uh, I worship trees. He actually did an evening puja for the Ridraksh tree. So he's a, he's a big deal in North India. He has countless followers. He has a huge ashram. Um, and he is one of the Mahans who comes during the Kumbha Mela as one of the leaders. Um, so I went to interview him and we were a lot of journalists. Um, we had, there were film crews, TV, etc., etc. In the middle of the interview, he said it was evening. It was Sandhya, uh, the Sandhya Kal. And he said, just give me a minute. He walked to the Rudraksh tree and he, we call it tree hugging nowadays in modern parlance. but literally he held the tree, he bowed to the tree and he prayed and he said uh, his prayers and did a little bit of Abhisheka. And he said, when you worship nature like this, you will treat the Ganga in a much more special way. So I think the desire of our ancestors, the desire that comes across in all the slokas is that let's be gentle with this earth. But we are not doing that as a species. And it's not just India. As a species, we are not doing that. Yeah, especially when I think about uh, you know, our uh, construction, uh, again, I'm uh, digressing yeah. from the topic, but uh, in so in hot places, we have these glass buildings, uh, you know, in so tropical places, glass buildings with air conditioned instead of like, you know, in 15th yeah. century, Vijayanagara kings have showed us to you know, how to build naturally air-conditioned buildings, but we've left that and, uh, you know, we are falling for that, the silicon uh, aspect of Silicon Valley, which doesn't really belong to India. That's, to India, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's uh, something, I guess, and uh, Shobhaji has, in fact, uh, uh, elaborated that whole shloka of Paraischitta Tatva in her Kashi chapter, so I would... Uh, urge uh, not just Mohiji, but everybody to go through and... Uh, it's so necessary for us to know what we want to follow first, mm. you know, before mm. uh, blindly defending or blindly criticizing. It's uh, necessary to know what our own Shastras and our own ancestors have given, uh, the knowledge Correct. they have given us. And then evaluate it you know we just find out that we are just not following anything that they have told us to follow and then uh, then there is this whole uh, insensitive blaming of hinduism that goes on so do please for that one reason also i would uh, urge you all to read uh, food and faith it's been uh, you know so uh soulfully covered so that uh brings me to the you know final question is about uh, uh, how has your uh, because you have uh, confessed be, to being a skeptical seeker right and uh, how uh, how did how did you find uh, changing uh, the change in yourself during this whole journey shobhaji yeah. change or uh, 
know, because every I, I know that every visit to every kshetra has some impact. You know, yes. And, uh, then you have uh, just covered pretty much the whole yeah. subcontinent here. No, uh, Sai Swarupa, I think that the faith gives you many benefits. It has been well documented. Religious people have better marriages. They have better health. All that is there. But that is all a very rational approach, mm. a very scientific approach. It's uh, studies. I, all these studies show this thing is good. I want to achieve the transcendence that faith gives. And I'm not there yet. I see it when I see my mother. I see how they are able to forget themselves. And they are able to believe in a higher power that is taking care of them. That it gives them so much solace when times are tough. I want to be able to have that strong belief instead of just appreciating from a very rational mind that prasadam is tasty, the mythology is so good, the Sanskrit mantras in this, chandas are so nice to listen to. This is all the rational mind. For me, you for, for the transcendence where you forget yourself and you sort of, the aikyam that you have, you become one, you have to get into the emotional mind. You have to go deeper. And I'm not, I'm just, again, I'm still here. I have to go much deeper. But I would like to. I think it would be really good. So I'm speaking to you from California. And here, uh, uh, one of the latest trends is that um, ca cannabis is legal. Cannabis, I mean, by mean, by, I, which, again, our ancients used to have as ganja. So yes. they are taking uh, weed and uh, uh, recreational drugs in order to affect mind changes in their mind to access their creativity and the government has legalized all of it so here in, in california people are doing that they are taking smoking and uh, having this uh, edible cannabis in order to access spiritual or religious or creative power we have ways of doing that that maybe involved cannabis but also didn't many faiths are a way to achieve that transcendence without intaking anything so that to me is a wonderful thing. If I can access that religious transcendence where, which is, I think, the source of creativity, which is the source of happiness. And I, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I guess you're just being too humble. Uh, I could see uh, being a Sri Vidya Upasaka and uh, the way you have so soulfully uh, documented the whole experience uh, at least i am sure you'll reach there and uh, so will all of us i hope uh, so thank you thank you so much uh, shobhaji if we don't have any more questions uh, we should be thanking her and uh, and thanks again for uh, you know uh, gracing us so early in the morning for you Yes. <laughs> no, no problem. You can go have your dinner. I'll go have my coffee. <laughs> but thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. So please uh, buy your copies of uh, Food and Faith. Uh, I know the book will make you hungry. Uh, that's <laughs> happening to me. And uh, yes, there's so much of knowledge. The hunger for knowledge is also uh, quenched by uh, reading such a beautifully and soulfully and honestly written book. So uh, all the best, Shobhaji. And I am also happy to announce that uh, Indic Book Club, Indic Academy, we have acquired uh, uh, some copies of uh, Shobhaji's book for our thousand uh, book, uh, book reviewers, thousand reviewers club initiative. So you would uh, see a lot of interest being exp expressed on the book as well as some reviews coming up. And I hope uh, it 
uh, help spread the word on such a wonderful book and uh, all the best for your next book, Shobhaji. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So